Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, it is my joy to bring the message tonight. Um, I, we are in the middle of a series called The Way Forward, and it is a, a, a series through the book of Acts, which as I mentioned each week, that the book of Acts is a very unique book in the Bible because it tells us how the gospel went from just a few uh, disciples in uh, Jerusalem, but were from Galilee, kind of a rural area of Israel, to the center of the Roman Empire, basically in their minds, the ends of the earth of that day. So how did that happen? Well, uh, the gospel of Luke tells us how that happened. And so what we're doing is we're going on this exciting journey to see how does the gospel go forward and what does that mean for us? So that's what we're doing. Um, I am a person who loves a good burger. Anybody with me? I got an amen. I, that's the first amen I've gotten in a long time, bro. By the way, you, that, you have permission to give me an amen, all right? A burger brings out an amen. If you like a burger, you know what I'm talking about. McKinley likes a burger, I'm sure, but all right. <laughs> Anyways, a good burger has a few things that it needs. A good burger has a few things it needs. One, a good burger needs a good sear on it. You know what I'm talking about? Like a nice hot sear where it's like crispy meat on the outside. You know what I'm talking about? And then it needs a good bun to meat ratio. You know what I'm talking like, like you can't have just like a bunch of meat and a little bun and you can't have too much bun and a little meat. And if I'm honest with you, you got to have the right dexterity of bun, too. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. It's all... All right. Come on, yeah. Now you're talking. Woo! All right. <laughs> well, there are a couple burger places where I grew up in southern Illinois that... We got some great burger places in Charlottesville. If you want a good burger, talk to me. I'll tell you where to find the good burgers. And they're not that far away, but you don't know about them. Okay. Um, but in, in Southern Illinois, we got some really wonderful uh, burger places that have some secrets. Uh, the first one, I'll go ahead and show you the picture. This is uh, Mike's Drive-In in my hometown that I grew up in. I know you're all impressed. Hey, if you're impressed by the building you're going to pay $15 for the burger. You know what I'm talking about? So that's the place you want to get a burger from. Okay, so, uh, but Mike's Drive-In has a special sauce. I have, I have no idea what's in the sauce. All I know is it is delicious. That's all I know. And so you go there, you order with everything. That means it comes with the sauce. And if you ever come to my town, I will take you, get a Mike's burger, and you're like, that sauce is legit. Okay, so that's one place, secret sauce. Another place is, uh, the, I'm sorry the, the screen is, or the picture is a little bit fuzzy, but did you notice the price of that burger? That's, uh, okay, anyways, this is called, uh, yeah, 75 cents, yeah, that's not dollars, okay. Um, but Nestler's Polar Whip, every, twice a year I go back to Illinois to see my family and we will drive two towns over just so we can eat at Nestler's Polar Whip. And my kids, I've, I've already addicted them to it. So like, when are we going to Polar Whip? I'm like, well, <laughs> tomorrow, you know. Anyways, uh, and so uh, this place, they don't have a mystery sauce. 
Um, they, they have a special secret ingredient in the meat. They work something into the meat. You're like, how do they do that? I don't know. I can't tell. All I know is it's delicious. That's all I know, okay? Rumor has it, it's actually cereal. I don't know what cereal. I don't know. I don't need to know. All I know, it's delicious. The point is, okay, okay, okay. I'm losing you here. There is a secret sauce and a secret ingredient that literally makes all the difference in the world, okay? Like these burgers are so much better. And what we're going to look at today is, what is the secret sauce that caused Jesus to do what he did and caused the early church to do what they did? Well, here's the good news. Luke tells us the secret sauce. Is it? It's not soy sauce. No, okay. <laughs> you guys are rowdy up here in the front row. There you go. All right. All right. So, if you'll recall, um, Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts, and it is actually one continuous story where there's part one and part two. And so, what we get is. There are certain themes that start in Luke that work their way through Acts. And Luke is, is, is dropping seeds so you don't miss what he's trying to get across. And he tells us what the secret sauce is of not just what Jesus did, but how he did it. And then, not just what the early church did, but how they did So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a 20,000 foot flyover in about five minutes. And then we're going to land on a specific passage and take a few more minutes there, and we're going to find out what was the secret sauce of how the gospel went from Jerusalem to the center of the Roman Empire. Okay, you guys ready for the journey? Here we go. First of all, we see in the life of Jesus that we start his ministry with the Spirit empowering Jesus. Now, we spent two weeks talking about how the Holy Spirit, that's, that's part A of the answer, how did it happen through the Holy Spirit, and we're getting ready to fill in the blank. Okay, so I want you to pick up the theme. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. In other words... When Jesus was empowered with the Spirit, he was praying. Okay, next. And by the way, I had a whole list of these. I just picked three about Jesus and three about the early church, but I can give you way more. This is just a sampling. Okay, this is the the day that Jesus selects his 12 apostles. Out of the disciples, he pulls 12 apostles. And here's what it says. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Okay, so we don't know when he went up there, if he went up there because he needed to discern which 12, or if he went to spend time with the Father, and the Father said, I want you to take these 12 and make them your apostles. We don't know. But all we do know is before one of the biggest decisions of his life, of who his disciples an inner circle of apostles would be, he spent the entire night praying. It says this, when morning came, he called the disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. So before the biggest decision of his life, he spent the night in prayer. Okay, next. This is Jesus's most difficult moment. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knows he's getting ready to get arrested and go to the cross. Here's what it says. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them being a couple of the disciples. He knelt down and what does it say? Prayed. 
Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Now, you're like, okay, he's praying, and all of a sudden an angel comes, come on, you know, you can make it. Like, we can just gloss that. He has an angelic visitation while he is praying. Okay, again, there are many, many more moments. I'm just giving you a sampling. What we see, here's my summary statement. The catalytic and significant moments of Jesus' life and ministry were ushered in through prayer. That the catalytic and significant moments of his life and his ministry were ushered in through prayer. Okay, now let's look at the early church. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Okay, so here's what we find in Acts 1.14. They, they joined, they all joined together constantly. What did they constantly do? They prayed in prayer, Acts 1.14. Then a few verses later, we get chapter 2. And here's what it says. When, they, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. What were they doing? They're praying. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The moment of their empowerment came when? What were they doing? Praying as they prayed. Okay, next. It was about noon the following day as... As they were on their journey and approaching the city, and Peter went up to the roof to pray. Okay, so when Peter goes up to the roof to pray, this is in, in Acts 10, he has a vision that basically is what causes him to realize that he is to go to a Gentile's house and present the gospel to the Gentiles. And so it says, while Peter was still thinking about this vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Okay, what was Peter doing when he had the vision? What was Peter doing when he was, um, when, when, when the spirit told him to go? He was praying. This was the catalytic moment of the gospel now going to the Gentiles. Okay, let's keep going, let's keep going. This is a few chapters later. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. How did Paul and Barnabas get sent on their missionary journeys? Was it that because the, the, the church in Antioch had a board meeting or a strategic planning meeting with all the leaders and said, okay, I think we should probably go, you know, figure something. No, no, no. It didn't come from a board meeting or strategic planning. It came from a prayer meeting that the Spirit spoke and launched Paul into his missionary journeys that take up the rest of the book of Acts. It happened in prayer. I mean, think about these moments. The spirit empowerment of the church, the gospel going to the Gentiles, and then the gospel going to the ends of the earth all started where? In prayer. The catalytic and significant moments of the apostles' life and ministry were ushered in through prayer. Now, again... My wife reads my messages and she took out other examples. She's like, you don't need that many. Okay, right. so I got way more. Luke is wanting you to see that the catalytic and significant moments of Jesus' life and the early church was birthed 
and ushered in in prayer. Okay, let me say this. Luke does not want you to miss this. This is the secret sauce. How did Jesus do what he did? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer. How did the early church do what they did? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer. Can I confess something to you? Much of prayer life is unremarkable. I mean, I, I, I deal with the same stuff you do. You know, where you start praying, and you're praying for someone, and you remember the last time you were with them, you went to Cain's, and you thought, Cain sounds kind of good right now. <laughs> and you thank the Lord for Cain's really fast, and, and then you're like, chicken, I do need to go to the grocery store. And pretty soon, you're like making your grocery list, and you're like, oh, wait, I was praying. I know that never happens to you. You're all more spiritual than that. But my, my, my mind wanders at times in prayer. Anybody with me on this? Right? I mean, I, I don't call down fire every morning in prayer. I mean, I, can I be honest with you? Today, I felt like my prayer time was fairly unremarkable. And I'm like, I'm getting ready to talk on prayer. But can I also say this? That over 27 years of following Jesus, prayer has been a lifeline to me. I don't know what I would do without prayer. Prayer has ushered in my greatest encounters with the Holy Spirit. It was in moments of prayer that God gave me my call. It was in moments of prayer that I've had anxiety fall off of me. It's in moments of prayer where I've seen breakthroughs in our ministry. Much of my prayer life is unremarkable. But I don't know where I'd be without it. So what I want to do is I just want to look at one episode in, uh, in, in Acts. We're going to be in chapter 4, so if you can open up your Bibles, chapter 4. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back, so just raise your hand. We've got some people who would love to bring one to you if you need one. Um, anybody need one? Anyone? Anyone? No hands? Okay. All right. We're good. Uh, what, I, what I'd like to do is now just zoom in on one story. And actually, it's part two of the story that uh, Amanda preached uh, last week and as she talked about the, the miracle of uh, that Peter and John did with the guy who was the beggar and, and they say silver and gold have I none but I have I give you and get up and walk and the guy got up and he started jumping and so I'm con- convinced his name was Jack and he was jumping Jack but anyways that's just me but um, anyways the, the point is yeah it's lame I understand but um, <clears throat> but it caused a whole commotion in the temple mount and so the authorities have to come and say what is all this commotion And when they come and see that the commotion is about Jesus, they don't take too kindly to it. In fact, you know what they do? They arrest Peter and John. And so now, for the first time, Christians have been arrested for doing a miracle in the name of Jesus. And so now, uh, the next day, 
we find out in verse 8, it says this. Okay, what, hold on. Just before verse 8, they are asked a very specific question. The question they're asked is, in what name and what power did you do this? And, okay, if, if this is me, and this, I'm the first Christian to ever be arrested, and I'm asked, by, in what name and what power did you do this? I would probably say just, Jesus, you know, get me out of here, right? Listen to what Peter says, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, because Luke wants you to know where he gets the courage of what he's getting ready to say. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if I am being called to account today or for, for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are now being asked by how he was healed. In other words, does any good deed go unpunished here? I mean, come on. I, this man is now walking and now I'm in trouble. He says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay, and he doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. I mean, he's wanting them to know, it's the same Jesus you saw hang on the cross. It's in his name this happened. Because they want, he wants them to know, because you know the one you saw hang on the cross? God raised him from the dead, and he's alive, and he's changing lives today. And then, when he says this, he keeps going. He said he's the fulfillment of prophecy, the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then he keeps going. He says, by the way, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In other words, he's our hope. He's your hope. He's humanity's only hope. And I'm thinking, okay, so here's what you need to know. That belief was no more popular in that day than it is today. But he is full of boldness and courage. And it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Like, wow, these guys have been with Jesus. I thought, may it be said of me, right? May it be said of you. When people encounter, whoa, they've been with Jesus. So then, as they're not sure what's going to happen, the authorities decide, let's just command them not to speak anymore about Jesus and let them go. And so, that's what they're told in verse 18. It says, let me get to verse 18 here. It says this, They're commanded not to teach, not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. And listen to how Peter replied. You can read it. He replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? I'm thinking, oh, Peter, just hell yeah. (laughs) He's like, hey, Jesus has changed our lives. We're going to do what we have to do to be obedient to God. We're going to be obedient to him, not to you. Okay, so he's pretty bold. Would you guys agree with that? Pretty courageous. Would you agree with that? And then he goes back to the believers after they are released. And here's what it says in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. What was their response when they heard about persecution? What was their response? Immediately, what did they do? They prayed. Their response was to pray. And you know, I'm always struck by what they prayed for. So let's look to see what they prayed for. Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. And here's what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his holy one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Okay, so here's what they do. They start praying, Sovereign Lord. In other words, they start saying, We know you're the true king. Sovereign is a kingly term, right? It's about his rule. You're the one who rules. You're the one who created. So the first thing they do is they declare the greatness of God. The greatness of God and his rule over creation. That he's the one who rules over the redemptive story. And they're, they're saying, you said years and years ago that the nations would rage against your Messiah. And that same rage that was against the Messiah is now against us. And we know that you're not caught off guard by this. We know that you have a plan and purpose in the midst of this. And so they start by declaring the greatness of God. You know, I found that when I start my prayer declaring the greatness of God, something happens. One, God is glorified. That's good, right? But two, my faith starts to rise. You know, Amanda talked last week about expectations. That as I start declaring the greatness of God, God, you're the one who's over creation. You're the one over the sky and the sea and and land and everything in it. You're the one who's over it all. And you're the one who unfolded your redemptive plan over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And if you can do that, then you can deal with what I'm dealing with, right? You can act and move and be at work in the midst of my situation. And so it builds our faith. When Jesus taught us to pray, how did he teach us to start? If you know the Lord's Prayer, you at least know the first line, right? Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. In other words, honored, glorified, holy, revered be your name. Let's start by declaring the greatness of God. That's how they start in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of a real, clear, and present danger. That's what they pray for. Let's see what else they, after they declare God's greatness, let's see what else they pray for. It says this, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I'm always shocked by this. I would be like, consider their threats. And could you remove their threats, please? Here's my summation. They didn't pray for God to keep them safe. They prayed for God to make them dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. 
I mean, I, can I tell you, I'm risk adverse. Like, I don't like risk. I'm, I'm always like, can you remove the risk? And they're praying, God, you know their threats. Make us bold. Whoa. How does the gospel go forward with people who pray for boldness, even in the midst of hostility? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with praying for safety, okay? Don't get me wrong. But they have a greater value, and that's for the gospel to go forward. So they pray that God would make them bold. And then secondly, listen to what, what, what they pray. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The second thing they pray for is do more miracles. Okay, here's what you need to know. They just got out of jail. Why were they in jail? Because of miracle. And they're like, if you could do more of that stuff that landed us in jail, that'd be sweet. I mean, think about how radical this prayer is. You know their threats. Will you give us great boldness and do more of those signs and wonders? Why? So that it will be confirmed that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is the only name by which someone can be saved. Do more of that. I mean, if you want a, a gritty prayer, <laughs> you got it. Make us bold and do more of that stuff that got us in trouble. Do more miracles. Can I, can I be honest with you? These prayer requests challenge me. Because I'm more likely to pray for safety than boldness. And I'm more likely to ask for small things than supernatural things. I appreciate what you said, Jess. Like, I resonate with that. Can I be honest? Sometimes I don't pray big enough prayers. When's the last time you said, God, just, we do miracles, signs and wonders? Do you, do, do you pray like the apostles prayed? Oftentimes, I'm, it's like I, I almost wonder if it's, I think it's too big or something. I mean, we serve a big God, right? They prayed big prayers. Big prayers. Let's see what happens. Verse 31, And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You know, I used to think that verse was like a nice little exclamation point to a nice prayer meeting. Well, isn't that nice? (laughs) He heard us, you know, like shook the room. And then I realized that's not what's happening at all. You know what's happening? God's answering their prayers. He's filling them afresh with the Holy Spirit. And what's the result? They spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed for boldness. He says, you want boldness? I'll give you more of the Spirit. And another fresh wind of the Spirit. By the way, these are the same people from Acts 2. That, why, well, I thought they already had the Holy Spirit. But here's what I know. That they probably walked out of their situation of boldness and getting arrested. And as the adrenaline went down, they probably felt themselves getting intimidated and fear starting. And they said, oh God, make us bold again. And God sent a fresh work of the Spirit that emboldened them again. 
And then a few verses later, 12 verses later, it says this, and the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. John Stott said there is no doubt that, or little doubt, he would say, I think, that this is showing the fulfillment of the prayer they prayed. God answered their prayer. Can I tell you something? If we don't pray for big things, we won't see big things. I challenge you to pray for bigger things. I, okay, you're going to think, this is silly. This weekend, I said in, in my notes, but this weekend, my son broke his arm. Whole story, I, I don't need to get into it right now. But he broke, broke his wrist. He goes to the orthopedist tomorrow, has a cast over it. He's supposed to take the SAT on Wednesday with, one, with his other hand. And AP tests and all this. Okay, so, so he's going to school like this. And I told him, I've been praying that if they do another x-ray, which I don't know if they will, if they just use the if they do another one, I'm praying it's going to be healed. Now, will my faith be shattered if it's not? No. But do I believe God can do it? Absolutely. So I'm going to pray it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if they're going to do another x-ray. I don't, I'm not going to ask them to just so I'd pay for another one. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> Keeping it real. But the point is, and they'll be praying another prayer for provision. You know, but that's not... <laughs> but... Uh, But the point is, let's pray big prayers. John Christosom, who was one of the early church fathers, one of the early church preachers that was just famous in his day, said this, as the room was shaken, they became more unshakable. When we pray and the Holy Spirit comes, we're, we're more unshakable. I've been thinking a lot since about October about this, how the way forward for us as a fellowship is in prayer. The way forward is in prayer. So what does this mean for us? Well, first of all, let me just give you a, a quote by J.D. Greer, says this, that a prayer or prayer is the result of a gospel-shaped soul. What does that mean? I mean, okay, what is the, the gospel shows us our powerlessness and our depth of need, right? And it also shows us God's generosity to give us his power and to meet our need. Well, when you know your neediness and you know God's generosity, what is the natural response? It's to pray, And so when the gospel has taken hold of our hearts, this is not work. This is about living out the gospel, right? That The natural response is to pray. We're not earning anything. We're responding to knowing he's a generous God. I would encourage each of us to press into prayer freshly. What does that mean for personal prayer? Well, I'll just speak briefly about this. I, I want to encourage you. I believe UVA students are typically better at reading their Bibles than praying. Because we are more open to the intellectual and less open to the mystical. Or at least value it less. And I want to encourage you to open yourself to prayer. And, and I'm just quickly, three, three quick things 
Um, One, maybe open yourself to contemplative prayer where you just sit in the presence of God and become more aware of his love and his grace and his power and his glory and his holiness. Over the past few weeks, I I just have a chair in my office and I just go sit there and I can't tell you how many times the Lord has broken things off of me as I've been aware of of his presence in my life and the wonder of his character. And I can get up out of that chair just feeling, There aren't a lot of words associated with it. It's just communing with him. Secondly, worship. Start like they started and just start declaring the greatness and the glory of God and your faith will start to rise. And finally, After you worship, then intercede. Talk about your needs. Talk about your family's needs. Talk about your friend's needs. Talk about your university's needs. Talk about the world's needs and present those requests to God and pray big, bold prayers. He will not answer 100% of the prayers you don't pray. Pray bold prayers. I've walked around dorms for years and prayed for the day when an entire suite comes to know the Lord. I haven't seen it yet. But I believe by God's grace, before I'm done here, we'll see it happen. Maybe it'll be your suite. Pray over your department. Pray over your dorm. I remember when Kellogg was being built, I, I walked around, I laid hands on that thing, tried not to be, you know, look too weird. Just... <laughs> Can I tell you, the year that Kellogg opened, we had a bumper crop out of Kellogg. And I'd meet him, I was like, I pray for that dorm. I, that, that's, that's answer to the prayer. Right? You guys follow me. Someone from Kellogg, I prayed for you. Okay. The point is, let's pray some big prayers. I also want to encourage us to be a community that joins together in prayer. So I'm talking about personal prayer. I want to talk about communal prayer. So as a core group, you know when you close in prayer, that's just not a formality so you can go home. Like, I mean, pray some prayers, right? Just encourage us to increase your expectancy in those times. And like, pray with faith and ask for big things. And then I'd also say this. Pray together as houses. Here, here's a new phrase I coined just not too long ago, that those houses that pray together play together. You have more fun when you pray together. It's just, you're just going to, it's going to work that way. I would encourage us. Uh, on, on Thursday mornings, well, we, I, I heard about, what is it, men's prayer, right? The, they said, men, uh, uh, on, on, that's on, that's on uh, Tuesdays at nine. Okay, go, maybe guys go to that. That sounds great. Um, I didn't even, I, that, that, that was the first I heard about it. I love it. I love it. I was like, that's an answer. To, you know, yeah, anyways, okay, that's my message. Okay, so I, I, was, I was thrilled to hear that. Um, and then on Thursday mornings from eight to nine in the basement of the who room of the hub, of the hub, the who room, not the basement of the who room, but you guys, that's the, that is the basement of the hub. It's called the who room. We're having a prayer meeting and I look forward to where we don't all fit there. And then we got to go up a level and then we got to go up a level and we'll just have, you know, just a house of prayer. And so I want to encourage us. If they said that this is what defined the early church, then I would love for it to define us. Now, I know we're people of, of prayer. This not, we're, we're not prayerless, right? 
But I'm just saying, let's heat up a vision of what God can do when we pray. As I was thinking about answers to prayer, I'll close with this. In fact, the worship team can come up. I was reminded of a time when we were a young ministry and we're growing very rapidly and we were meeting in Minor Hall Auditorium. I don't know if you guys ever been in room 125 of Minor. Um, we're meeting in there. And the first three weeks, we had filled it up. And we're like, oh, well, that's, kind of, that's good, but like, what are we going to do? Like we were overflowing, like we can't keep doing this kind of thing. And I thought the Holy Spirit spoke to me that our next room was going to be in the Newcomb Theater at that point. Before it was renovated, it used to be way nicer than it is now. They fixed it till it was broke, but that's another story. The, and we had put in for a reservation, and they told us no. And I'll never forget, we had a leaders meeting, and I told the leaders, I said, yeah, we're filling up Minor Hall to overflowing, and I thought we were going to the theater, but they told us no. I said, I don't know what we're going to do. We just need to pray. And so we turned that leaders meeting into a prayer meeting. And we said, God, you got to do something. And the next week, I was walking into Newcomb Hall to have some one-on-ones in the PAV. And as I was walking in, this guy was walking out by the name of Eric, who's the audio-visual guy over all of Newcomb Hall. And he stops me. He says, hey, Pete. I said, hey, Eric. He said, how's your reservation going in the theater? And I stopped. I said, Eric, you told us we couldn't meet in the theater He said, oh, well, we changed our mind. (laughs) You did? I mean, how often does the administration change their mind on things like this? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And for the next several years, we met in Newcomb Theater. And you could trace it back to a prayer meeting. One final quote before we pray. You, guys, you can go ahead and start playing, Will. Can you uh, throw up the quote by, here it is. Whenever God is ready to do something new with his people, he always sets them to praying. History is silent about revivals that did not begin with prayer. No spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. J. Edward Moore, a revival historian and scholar, as he studied the history of revivals among God's people, he said, they always start by people starting to pray. If that is what caused, was catalytic to Jesus' life and ministry, if prayer is what was catalytic to the early church's life and ministry, I just have to believe it'll be catalytic to your life and my life as I follow and you follow Jesus as well. Will you stand? Lord, make us people of prayer. Give us, as Jess talked about, a revelation where it's different this time. I know very little has been said that's new. But give us an open heaven to have a sense of the revelation of the power of prayer of how it's like incense is just talked about rising up to you in Jesus name
God, we do pray for big things. God, we pray for moments of great moves of God on our university that have never happened. Unprecedented works of God. God, we pray you'd fill your people with boldness. We pray you'd do signs and wonders for your namesake, for the glory of Jesus, but not for the glory of any man. Lord, increase our faith. Increase the sizes of our prayers. And give us a fresh revelation of the power of prayer. That the way forward is in prayer. In Jesus' name. If I were to sum up our text tonight, I would talk about a big confrontation, right? That was followed by a big declaration where big prayers were prayed to a big God who visited them and answered so they could live big lives, right? That's the power of of what we talked about tonight. So may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace as you follow him and pray bold prayers. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Let's have a wonderful week following Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.